Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. So in our last lesson, we talked about Judas, a man who apparently to all intents and purposes had sinned, sinned greatly, sold the Savior for a handful of silver coins, and yet he seemed to have repented and made restitution. Now we need to be absolutely certain that we understand this. There is no sin that is so great that it cannot be forgiven. Even Judas could have been forgiven, could have been born again, could have been given eternal life. We could have met Judas in heaven and we could have heard his story, except for this one fact, that his repentance and his sorrow and his attempted restitution was totally misdirected. What did Judas get wrong, do you remember? He went to the church of his day. He went to the priests and he hoped that the priests could help him. And they threw his request for help back in his face. Church cannot save you. We have before us today the Lord's Supper, the communion service, taking communion. It cannot get you to heaven. Taking communion can't save you. Only Christ can save you. Now, Judas didn't go to Christ. If he had gone directly to Jesus, then Jesus had said, Whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no ways cast out. He said, Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But the traitor who sold Christ to the wicked authorities for a miserable thirty shackles, the price of a slave, brought his repentance to the priests, brought his repentance to the established church, and they threw it right back in his face. And they left him destitute and unforgiven and lost and in such awful despair that he took his own life. I'm going to look at another man who betrayed the Lord. A man who had a totally different outcome when he repented. Simon Peter. A man who was a failure as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. When I think of Simon Peter, I think of myself. We're all failures, aren't we? We all are. No matter how successful in life we may be, Paul in the book of Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet Peter is the very opposite of Judas. For Peter did repent. Peter returned to Christ and was forgiven and became useful as an apostle and a preacher and a church leader and a believer. But how did Peter become synonymous with failure when he seems to have had such strength of character? Think about it for a moment. Peter had great strength of leadership. When we read the lists of disciples, Peter was always the one who seemed to come first. 
He was a natural leader, always the first to speak up. He was among the three disciples chosen by Jesus for his closest companionship. He was present at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was brought with the Lord into the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, Peter took the leader later on on the day of Pentecost. When the church was born, he was a strong leader. And he had great courage, hadn't he? He had great strength of spirit. He was a bold, spiritual adventurer. Remember that time when he saw the Lord Jesus walking in the water and boldly and impetuously Peter stepped out over the side of the boat trying to walk on water also. Remember when the day of resurrection came and the two disciples rushed to the tomb and it was Peter who rushed ahead and got into the tomb and discovered that Christ had risen and remember that Peter was not just a man with great leadership strength and great courage but a man who was physically strong after all he was a fisherman not an angler but a man who worked with nets a man who worked in high seas a man who pulled oars, a man who rowed out to the fishing grounds, a man who dragged heavy nets full of fish in days when mechanical and electrical winches had not been invented. So a man with great physical strength in his back and his arms, a man who, when the Lord Jesus was going to be arrested, could stand up and face down a whole mob of wicked men in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was physically strong, and he was a man who was intellectually strong. Just because his work was physically hard, don't think that Peter was a dullard. Nothing of the sort. Remember that the Apostle Paul, who was the great intellectual genius of the early church, was a tent maker by trade. A man who laboured all day with heavy canvas and huge needles earning his living. A man who worked by the sweat of his brow. Peter was a clever man too. He was among the first of the disciples. He was the first of the disciples to recognise that the man who they were following, the man from whom they were learning, was the Messiah, the Son of God. Matthew 16. Peter had great strength, a mighty man, great leadership ability, great courage, great physique, great intellect, a man who you would think was the perfect Christian. And yet he's an illustration of the warning given by Paul to us about our own human weakness, about our frailty. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Peter's the strong man of the disciples. He's the chief of apostles. He's the future leader of the church at Jerusalem. And when he stood at the cross of Jesus, He stood as a failure. 
Let's ask why. Let's see, first of all, the shame of Peter's denial. And then the sorrow of Peter's denial and the solace that came after his denial. Mark 14 and verse 53 down to verse 72. We read the story. You remember it. Jesus has been arrested in the place of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. A traitor Judas has led a band of thugs hired by the priests and they have come and they have dragged him to the high priest and Peter has trailed along behind them at a distance and he's gone into the palace of the high priest and there's a servant's quarters. I imagine it must have been like some of the big houses because it tells us that Peter, in verse 66, Peter was beneath in the palace. If you go to some of the big grand houses around the country that's owned by the National Trust, you'll see that the servants' quarters are down in the basement. Peter must have been down there along with the servants. And there's been a fire down there. There's been a boiler of some description. And Peter has sat down at the fire and he's warming himself. And as he sits there at the fire, he's approached by a girl, by one of the servant girls. And the girl must have recognized him. And she's confronted him with the fact that he also was one of the followers of Jesus. Look at his reaction in verse 68. He denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. What are you talking about? Denied the Saviour. Another woman recognized him. And then some others again. Verse 70 says, A little after they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. So she recognized his accent. Knew that he was from up north. Knew that people from up north were all troublemakers. And this man was a follower of Jesus. Otherwise, what would he be doing down here in Jerusalem? Peter continuing to deny that he knew Jesus. Eventually, those denials became more and more impassioned and more and more feverish. And in verse 71, it says, He began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. Yet this is the very man who has insisted that never would he let the Lord die. He would never forsake his Lord and Master. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31. Jesus said to all his disciples, Then all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd. And the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. I'll never let you down, Lord. I'll never be offended. I'll always stand up for you. Jesus said to him, this night before the cock crows, you shall deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, listen to this, 
Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Shame of Peter's denial. Wonder why he did it when he said he wouldn't. Wonder was it the pressures of this world? Was it peer pressure? Sure, Peter never intended to be a failure. Who does? There he is, sitting, taking his comfort from the place where the enemies of Jesus and godly people are going to be gathered. I wonder, did it never occur to Peter that the household of the high priest would not be a place where a Christian should go to find company? Did that not occur to him? That there are places that perhaps it's better not to go to. Our closing psalm today will remind us of that. The psalmist in Psalm 1 writes, The man, that man hath perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray, in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinners' way. Nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law, and meditates on his law day and night. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Here's Peter, sitting in the very place where he's going to be tempted to deny the Lord. Maybe it was the pressure of that. Maybe it was the weakness of his own flesh. Maybe Peter thought that since he was such a strong and determined man, he could stand in his own strength. He could trust himself. We should never trust ourselves. I used to listen to many people giving an account of their conversion, people giving a testimony, various meetings. And, you know, they always seem to follow a pattern, but they usually become very stereotyped. Many of them were. And yet many of them completely sincerely would finish with the phrase, with the sentence, since I met the Lord, I have let him down many times, but he has never let me down. Have you ever heard that in a testimony? Um, people used to say it quite frequently. But in fact, it's very true. Don't trust yourself. Your heart within you is deceitful and desperately wicked. Maybe, maybe Peter misunderstood the weakness of his own, his own flesh and his own heart. And of course, it was the work of the devil, wasn't it? We read earlier from Luke chapter 22, Paul misunderstood the words of Jesus there. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Maybe Peter didn't understand that there is an enemy, a powerful enemy, who uses devious methods, who has a fearsome countenance, who has a malign intent, who goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Any of those reasons may cause a Christian believer to stumble. Many believers have failed the Lord on many occasions, haven't we all? Peter did it three times. And on each occasion, that 
betrayal, that denial became more vehement, more insolent, till eventually he was cursing and swearing like a trooper. And he should have been standing up for the Lord. Let's go back to the narrative and let's see the sorrow of Peter's denial. Peter sitting in the company of enemies of Jesus. He has denied the Saviour, but now his conscience is beginning to trouble him. And it's troubling him very deeply indeed. Look at verse 68. Here's where it starts. He denied saying, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. He's weeping now. Verse 72. The second time the cock crew. Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him. Before the cock crew twice. Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. I think that weeping was a sign of repentance. Peter has sinned. And he's in deep sorrow and he is weeping. And the first step on the way back to God from the dark paths of sin, as far as the human response is concerned, is to regret our sin and to be sorry for it and to then repent of it. To be sorrowful, sorrow that is brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit as he convicts us of our sin. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Sign of repentance. He's beginning to weep over what he has done. And a step toward recovery. Because that God-given sorrow works repentance. Sorrow and regret over our sin prepares us. And gives us the disposition we need to come before the Lord in prayer. And like the publican in the temple. To bow our heads in shame. To say, Lord... Be merciful to me, a sinner. Now you might say, but Judas did the same thing. Judas repented. Yes, he did. But there's a difference. Judas expressed his regret and his repentance to the church, to the clergy. To the people who couldn't and wouldn't help him. Luke's historical account of Peter's sorrow adds another detail. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 61, we read, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Remember, Peter has left the servant's hall. He's come up the stairs from that lower room. And he's come out onto the porch. And the porch is in the open air. And in the open air, there's the crowd of people standing, mocking the Lord Jesus. Spitting on his face. Slapping him and pushing him and and mocking him, even the servants striking him. 
And in the midst of all that anger and all that terrible treatment, somehow Jesus turns and despite being so brutally abused, he looks at Peter. And that look brought tears to Peter's eyes. Psalmist in Psalm 51, David, verse 16 says, For thy desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thy desirest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, the thing is, if you're going to come to Christ, and you're going to ask for your sins to be forgiven in repentance, and if you're going to expect those sins to be forgiven, you must come to him as a failure, like Peter did. You must come with a broken heart. You must come saying, Lord, I have failed. I have let you down. Please forgive me. And for Peter, there was great comfort. There was great solace. Because, you see, there is such a dreadful burden upon us the burden of sin that is lifted when we come to Christ. That's the good news for all of us. The good news, as Paul expressed it, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter how deep our sin, no matter how far our denial, no matter how dark our past, no matter what others think of us, there is hope in Christ. There is pardon. There is new life in Jesus. All of Peter's sins were forgiven, including this terrible act of treachery. For Jesus himself had taught Peter and the other disciples that day on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter was forgiven. That didn't make him perfect. Later on, Paul tells us that he had to reprimand Peter directly for his hypocrisy in Galatians 2 and 11. He said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. But Peter's a forgiven sinner, a sinner saved by grace. He's being used by God in the work of his kingdom. When Jesus rose from the dead and he met Peter along on the beach, he said unto him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thy me? Peter was grieved, because Jesus said unto him the third time, lovest thy me? And he said unto him, Lord, thy knowest all things, thy knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Peter, forgiven became part of God's plan for his church. Now all of us are failures. And all of us are sinners. And all of us, like those people that I used to listen to, giving their testimony years ago, we have all let the Lord down. 
But sinful failure and even denial do not have to mean eternal loss because like Peter, we can turn to Christ and have forgiveness and pardon and be confident that for those who truly repent, God-given sorrow, he will never, ever turn us away. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.